So we wanted to talk this week about a song that's a true classic, one with a pedigree older than any of the songs we've talked about before. And we wanted it to be a classic from our shared homeland. See, the place where Brian and I are from, New Jersey, is the home of lots of classics. Right, like pizza, or spaghetti bolognese, or chicken parm. You're just talking about Italian food. Oh, oh, I get it. So you're thinking like Frank Sinatra, or uh, Bruce Springsteen, or John Bon Jovi. Okay, just Frank and Bruce. But as great as those classic Jersey musicians are, they never had a movie made about them with the name Jersey Boys. No, they didn't. That honor goes to Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. And today we're going to talk about their classic song, Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Now that's what I'm talking about. Let's do it. Dear God. Is Is that too much? Hey, I'm Brian Barone. And I'm John Lagomarsino. You're listening to Tuner. The show where we dig into popular music, one song at a time. Today's song is Can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valli. It's easy for John and me to call this one a classic because for people our age, This song has been all over the place for our whole lives. Since it was first recorded in 1967, it's been covered hundreds of times and used and played in all kinds of situations, like in the movie 10 Things I Hate About You. And at least for me, that feeling was bolstered by Lauryn Hill's hit version of the song from 1998, which got to number 35 on the Billboard Hot 100. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. One thing about classics is that they end up defining what we think of as normal. Since musicians like to borrow things from classics to make new kinds of music, the ways classics do things start to turn into the way music is done, at least in their particular style. So when a classic comes on, it's easy to go into a kind of autopilot, to assume that you know how this sort of thing goes. But doing that might make us miss some unique, even totally strange things. And those things are usually what make the song, well, the song. And that's exactly what we're going to find in Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Along the way, we'll also find some hints that the way pop music gets made might be as much accidental as it is carefully planned out. The first hint that Can't Take My Eyes Off You might be the pop song equivalent of the weird guy over by the punch bowl comes from what sounds like a bit of confusion over what kind of song it wants to be. See if you agree, but it feels to us like the song sort of teeters between a couple of genres or styles. It's got a big band orchestration, of course, and there's the quasi-Latin feel of its syncopated rhythmic figures. And then sometimes it feels like a crooning ballad, but also at other times like a driving rock and roll thing with a big four-on-the-floor groove in the drums. I don't know. It doesn't quite come off like a clear or purposeful hybrid of different genres, more like it's off in its own dream world, where all these styles blur into each other in a musical haze. Yeah, it's weird, but also kind of great. 
Okay, and this is like the tiniest detail in the world, but check out the total strangeness of the guitar sound. This will work best if you're listening on headphones. The guitar will be in your left ear. They've got some wild reverb effect on, which makes this squirrely, wobbly, like almost spaceship-like noise after the guitarist plays a chord. It's subtle, but it's in there contributing to the weirdness. It almost reminds me of the reverb-soaked sound of Dick Dale and the other surf rock guitarists, but like even more extreme. I don't think the two probably have much to do with each other, except that they're really cool sounding. None of this is to say, though, that everything about Can't Take My Eyes Off You is unusual or whimsical. In some ways, it's pretty standard, and you could even think of parts of it as intensely logical. Yeah, before we dive into the biggest oddity about the song, which has to do with keys and key changes, let's look at some of its more familiar features. First of all, the form puts us in pretty comfortable territory for a mid-century pop song. An intro, two verses, then a bridge or pre-chorus leading into a chorus, then one more verse, one more pre-chorus, and one more chorus, and then a fade-out. Nothing shocking there. We'll glide through that feeling right at home. And the different sections even work like they still do in most pop songs. There's a solid contrast between a mellower verse and a more exciting chorus, with the pre-chorus acting as a ramp in both volume and energy between the two. Now there's some pretty classic stuff. And let's look at how the verse is put together, both in its arrangement and its harmony. There's a sense in which we could think of the verse as extremely logical and organized, at least in terms of how it's put together on paper. We'll stick to just the first two verses here. The word arrangement describes the way different instruments are given different musical jobs to do in producing the texture of a song. In the first two verses of Can't Take My Eyes Off You, each of the main instruments is given a particular rhythmic pattern that it follows throughout the whole section. So the vibraphone plays once every two measures, while the bass and kick drum play this rhythm or slight variations on it. The rest of the drums and cymbals add accents on beat two and four, plus a little flourish. And the guitar throws in those stabs we listened to before. By the second verse, horns have come in, more or less doubling the vibraphone's rhythm, but the real action is in the piano, which plays this syncopated pattern. Assigning characteristic rhythms to each different part is by no means rare in arranging. So, I don't know if it's because each of the rhythms here are so different and unchanging, or if it's something about the way the recording is mixed, but either way, this arrangement feels especially cut and dried to me, like extra rational. Which totally works for me here. It it feels elegant, like a perfectly tailored tux or something. Nothing too much, nothing out of place. And in a sense, the chords backing this section are put together in a similarly hyper-organized way. We can hear how this might be by kind of disassembling those chords one note at a time. I'll play through the verse's chord progression first with three notes in my right hand and the bass line in my left. Now, taking away one of those notes in the right hand, And now taking away yet another note in the right hand. 
and now dropping out the bass line. What we're left with is a long, smooth line that steps down through each of the available notes between its beginning and its end. The chords to the verse can be heard, then, as the result of fitting in other notes against this line in a way that sounds pretty awesome. But we've got some chicken and egg problems here. First, obviously we have no idea if this is actually how the songwriters came up with the chords. We can report, though, that certain musicians, not saying who, kind of enjoy harmonic crossword puzzles like this. But whether the line or the chords came first, it's all there in the song now, and it sounds pretty slick. But here's the next question. I'm pretty sure I hear this passage as smooth and slick and elegant. But did I experience it that way before I went back and picked apart the chords? Or did my analysis change my hearing? I'm not totally sure, to be honest. If lots of us experience this verse as refined or graceful or charming, though, that might be a good clue. Maybe harmonic moves like the verses have become associated over time with elegance and other ideas like that, at least in our particular musical culture. If that's true, Can't Take My Eyes Off You is a great example of how it'd happen. Check out how the song pairs that chord progression with these swoon-worthy lyrics. You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off Yeah, who doesn't wish that they could come up with a line like that? And who wouldn't totally melt if someone charming said it to them? Okay, so for as weird as this song can be in some ways, clearly it's not haphazard. Right, but we still have to talk about the strangest thing about this tune. And it's so, so odd. The thing we're talking about here has to do with what are called key changes, or modulations. We'll say a little bit more about what keys are in a minute, But first, let's note that most of the time, when a pop song uses a key change, it uses it in one particular way. Usually, pop songwriters and arrangers bust out a key change just before the last section of a song, when they want to send it out with a big finish. Like here. Or here. Or here. That feeling you had when everything suddenly lurched in a new direction and got more intense, that's the feeling of a key change. Now, there are lots of other kinds of key changes, and they all feel a little bit different. And to go back to our chickens, why that happens at all is its own question. But you probably just felt the general idea. And notice that composers, arrangers, and performers like to wave all kinds of bright musical flags right at the very moment of a key change. Like, sometimes it's a big drum fill, stuff like that. Something to really get your attention and to ramp up the intensity for the big dramatic finish. But let's talk about how musicians tend to think about key in general. At its simplest, key is about making one particular note the home or center or ground or focal point of all the others. You could use all kinds of metaphors for what it feels like, but the gist is that it's a kind of organization. The music takes on the identity of that one important note. So, say, in the key of B-flat, for example, everything becomes B-flat-ish. Musicians tend to think of keys as coming in two types. Major 
and minor. Since there are 12 possible notes in the Western pitch system, two types times 12 pitches gives us 24 possible keys. Okay, so Can't Take My Eyes Off You starts out in the key of E major. That's true for the intro. The first verse. You're just too good to be true. The second verse. Pardon the way that I stare. The pre-chorus. The chorus. But then something weird happens. The third verse is basically the same as the first two verses, except we're suddenly in a new key. We're in G major now. What the hell? Yeah, and it gets weirder, because after that verse, the song just goes back to E major, like nothing ever happened. Which, as you'll recall, is not how pop songs usually do this key change thing. Remember, key changes usually come near the end, and usually they're combined with other really obvious signals that things are reaching a climax. None of that happens here. Let's go back to the moment where the song switched from E major to G major. That's at the end of the first chorus, going into the third verse. What's happening here is that they've chosen to end the chorus on this very cool chord, one that's called a D9 chord. It sounds so interesting because that chord actually doesn't belong to the key of E major. It's a creative move, and to my ear, it really helps the transition from the kind of bombastic, over-the-top world of the chorus back to all the elegance of the verse we were listening to before. But here's the thing. A D9 chord really, really, really wants to go to a G chord next. And a G chord doesn't belong to the key of E either. In fact, if you play a D9 followed by a G, you're well on your way to being in the key of G. Playing those two chords together is almost like renting a billboard that says, Welcome to the key of G! (laughs) Which is exactly what happens in the song. It slides right into G major for the verse, which is the same as before but in the new key. Let's listen. And by the way, the absolute letter names of the keys don't matter. It's that feeling of change, of something shifting, that we really care about here. Right there. And here's the moment, from just a little down the line, where the song sneaks back into E major. It's so crafty, I hardly feel it, to be honest which is a whole different story, but here it is. You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off Right there. We can't know this for sure, but here's a guess about how this key change plus reversal of key change thing came about. It's all that D9 chord's fault. Suppose this happened. One of the song's composers had the really cool idea to end the chorus on that chord, just because it sounds good. Remember, musicians will do almost anything if it sounds good. And that, in turn, pushed the verse up into the key of G. But this might have put them in a bind when it came time to hit the last chorus, because being in G major makes the melody really, really high. Like, we're talking opera tenors shouting at you in Italian high. So, maybe, and remember, we're just supposing here, maybe they realized they could have it both ways. 
They could veer off into G for the verse and then tiptoe back into E for the chorus. The point is that all of this might have been, well, kind of cobbled together. One thing, a D9, leads to another, and next thing you know, you've got a classic song. That's maybe not how we think of the creation of pop songs in our day of auto-tune and Swedish superstar producers with secret formulas. But I think if you talk to musicians, you'll hear plenty of stories of times they just had to make something work. Weird key changes are the least of it. For as much as parts of Can't Take My Eyes Off You seem pretty carefully designed, other parts might have come from musicians just trying to get home in time for dinner. You know... It's kind of like my grandmother always says about her Sunday gravy. It's again with the Italian food. What can I say? It's classic. Thanks for listening. Tuner is Brian Barone and me, John Lagomarsino. This week's song, Can't Take My Eyes Off You, was performed by Frankie Valli and written by Bob Crew and Bob Gaudio. Artie Shrek and Bob Gaudio arranged the song. It was engineered by Phil Ramone. If you like the show, you can visit us at our website, tuner.show, and follow us on Twitter at TunerShow. And you know, we'd actually love to hear about your personal reactions to this song and really any of the others, too. Make sure to subscribe and to tell your friends about us, too. Just search for Tuner on iTunes or really any other podcast app. As always, we'd really appreciate it if you left a rating or review on iTunes, too, because that goes a long way. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Mm